I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am okay. I don't know if you know my situation. I left Russia after the invasion of Ukraine. I'm in Armenia now in a village 40 minutes away from the capital and trying to figure out my next moves. Oh, wow. No, no, I didn't know that. I, I know when you were still in Russia, you were writing a few things, and I remember reading those things. Um, I know you were corresponding with Glenn. I remember yeah. reading that correspondence you guys had. But no, I, I didn't know you had uh, left for Armenia. Uh, how is it How is it there? Uh, it's very good. The people are very, very friendly and welcoming. Uh, the summer is hot. But since I left the city, I first spent the first couple of months in the capital, Yerevan, which is really hot right now. But now I'm in a village in the mountains and it's uh, chiller. Mm. So we're doing okay. And how is it there, like? In terms of staying, do you have a good place, like food, groceries, stuff like that? Uh, there's a lot of great food. The uh, rent is high because of this influx of Russians. A lot of people left. And Armenia is one of the countries that are sort of the easiest to travel to. You don't need a visa. You don't actually need even... Uh, in Russia, there are different two different kinds of passports. One for inside use and one for traveling abroad. Well, to go to Armenia, you don't even need that uh, abroad passport. You can use your uh, basic Russian ID. So there are a lot of people here. And because of that, the rent prices went way up and it's hard to find an apartment. So we've moved, uh, I think, like three different apartments we stayed in. And now this little guest house in the village. Mm. But, you know, those, those are not hard problems to deal with. And you like the new guest house? Yeah, it's very nice here. The hosts are incredible, welcoming. There's this family that's been living here for generations, uh, artists, and, uh, you know, they have different professions, but all creative and interesting people uh, and very, very welcoming. Like sometimes, a couple times it happened that me and my fiance just go to walk the dog and we're passing their house and they're like, no, 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 come over, come over. And suddenly there's like a feast with homemade <laughs> vodka and uh, food and everything. So it's good. It's been good. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great that you're having that hospitality and that warm welcome. Yeah. Let's make the transition much easier. And um, uh, so did you just leave everything behind or did you try to bring as much as you could, like in terms of like clothing, books, uh, you know, well, whatever else you had at your place? No, certainly no, not books. Uh, we had, you know, I had a suitcase. My fiance had a suitcase, and then there's a dog that travels with us, uh, and that's kind of it. Uh, we have our stuff in storage in Saint Petersburg. I don't know if we're gonna get it anytime soon, but uh, yeah, for now, just traveling light. Mm. Okay. And your place that you were staying at in Russia? Is that is that like that was, somebody else that was a, moved in? Yeah, that was a what? rented rented apartment. So, just moved out. Okay, and like all your stuff is it still there, or you just put it all in storage? Everything, everything is in everything is in a little, you know, storage room, and uh, we just put everything in boxes and put there. Say that again. We just put everything in boxes and put in a, into storage. Okay. Okay. Nice. Well, um, I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, a common interest of ours, which is psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I've, 
I don't have a lot of experience with this myself. I've only done MDMA a couple of times and LSD one time, which uh, we actually talked about right before I did it. Um, and, and yep. you were actually one of the people who su- just suggested that I could try this. Um, that's what initially sparked it. And then I, I did it and uh, it was a really bad experience for okay. reasons that are very complex and not easy to understand. <laughs> Um, the, the reasons are primarily seems to be physiological. Um, I, I don't know if you have any experience with this, but, um, I, I've heard other people experience uh, a lot of gas when they take LSD. Um, I don't know if you felt mm-hmm. that before, like something moving through your stomach and you feel like a lot of burping, a lot of kind of gastric disturbance when you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I was feeling that and I already have some very strange chronic digestion issues and um and that's and and where that comes from is kind of complicated but it seems to be that when i was a kid i was very stressed out all the time Mm -hmm. living with a lot of fear and it seemed like that had a negative impact on my digestion and so i'm dealing with a lot of these underlying digestion issues um and uh also dealing with a lot of physical chronic pain for a mm-hmm. while in various parts of my body, which as I'm learning now has a potential psychological component. Um, I'm doing a lot of reading into this right now about the psychological roots of phys- chronic physical pain. It's like mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. some people like myself, there's just this fear that's kind of unconsciously woven into our minds. And so when there's some kind of pain, there's just big fixation, obsession, worry, and sometimes it's not conscious, it's, it's really unconscious or subconscious. And so there's just this, this horrible physical pain that comes in various parts of my body every now and then. Um, like like ch- chest pain is one that I've had for a while, um, even though I have no underlying heart issues, just a lot of really bad chest pain and uh, heart palpitations, which my uh-huh. doctor says is likely anxiety and uh, a combination of anxiety and my underlying digestion issues. Um, so anyway, I, I, I did the experience and I, the first couple hours were really, um, I was kind of obsessing and fixating over a lot of different things over and over again. Um, there, there's a bus going by me right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It should be leaving now. Uh, but after that, um, I was just in like the worst pain I've ever been in my entire life. Like 10 out of 10 pain on LSD. Wow. And, and it was all my wow. chest, chest pain. It wasn't, it, it's so bizarre because it wasn't, it wasn't psychological pain. It was, it was chest pain. Like it was so physical. And from, and from, I've never heard of anybody else who's had such a physical response to LSD. Like I, I have many people that I've talked to about this and I was with a guide, by the way, I wasn't even by myself. I, I had paid uh-huh. money to have a guide with me. Um, and she had never seen this before. But I just had this intense physical reaction, which it, it, it was so bad. Like after the experience, I was having trouble kind of talking like the chest pain was so bad. And then, and it's possible that I also wasn't eating well during the experience. Um, and usually when I don't eat for a long period of time, I get really bad heart palpitations. And so it could be that my body was just starving and I didn't know it. And then it freaked out. And then the heart palpitations that I would normally experience when I'm really hungry, they just got amplified by by like tenfold because of the LSD that I was on. And so after that, it was, I was just very like terrified and it was just in so much pain 
and it was hard to talk and I didn't know what to make of it. And it took like, like a few weeks afterwards too. I just, I, I developed this horrible chest anxiety, um, which was just an amplification of what was already there. And I'm still dealing with it to this day. And, and I don't know what to, what to make sense of it. Like, is it, um, you know, did, did the LSD cause something or did it just amplify what was already there? That's something that I'm continually discussing with my counselors and psychotherapists. And I do have some people uh, with me that, um, that are very experienced in this field who are helping me out with this. But anyway, I, I, I do want to talk about your experiences entirely for this conversation. But do you have any just immediate thoughts after hearing that? Well, that's fascinating. I've never seen, uh, never experienced or heard about anybody experiencing this kind of thing on LSD. And, uh, you know, you should talk to professionals. But from what I understand, LSD, uh, the active dose is so small, so tiny, that it would be very unlikely that this is physiological. This is like a chemical making your body, like, physically uh, go through this pain. So I think the connection you're making with anxiety and emotional stuff, that seems very plausible to me. So I would suggest maybe uh, doing some kind of, you know, there are these different schools of body central therapy. And I'm saying like, you go to a therapist, but instead of talking through your issues, uh, you uh, somehow try to get in touch with what the body is feeling and finding the stress, anxiety, whatever, tense muscles within the body. I'm not experienced in, in this myself, but uh, I've had a few sessions like that and I've heard of uh, you know other people and I know that there are many sort of schools of thought on this, but this kind of experiential you know, body therapy might be a good place for you to um, look for answers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is something that I've been exploring quite a bit and reading a lot about. But it, uh, from what I'm learning right now, it, it all goes back to the mind and different uh, algorithms that the mind is programmed with <laughs> that lead to physical pain, right? Things just don't originate in our body. It's our, it's our minds that interpret different signals. Right. And so right, right. when you're dealing with somebody like myself who grew up with a lot of fear due to parental conflicts at home and being bullied at school all the time, like it's like my mind was just programmed with chronic fear that likely manifests now in this physical pain. Yeah. I don't know much about, again, the science of it, but I think there are things that, you know, the body remembers you kind of shut these parts of your experience off the mind did uh but the body remembers and the body's still frustrated or stressed or anxious or in pain and we just you know try to remove ourselves from that pain that may be what's, right. what's going on yeah 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 for sure so I, I i've been reading some of your reflections on doing dmt lsd mushrooms and first off i just have to say it is really high quality writing. I mean, you're a really good writer. Like truly. Thank you. It's some of the be- <laughs> it's some of the best psychedelic writing I've, I've ever read, to be honest. Like I, you know, I, I think you might match or even surpass somebody like Michael Pollan. Wow. Um, thank did you. you. Did you read his book, How to Change Your Mind? 
Uh, I haven't. I've I've heard uh, interviews about the book with him, uh, and I know there's a Netflix series that's just out that I want to watch. But the book I haven't got my hands on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Netflix series is coming on July 13th. I'm very very excited mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And on the on this podcast, I'm going to be uh, interviewing the producer of the documentary, Oscar winning producer. Her name's Lucy. She'll be on to talk about uh, producing the documentary and what the goals were and. They, they're splitting it into four sections and talking about the therapeutic potential of mescaline, LSD, mushrooms, and MDMA. So I'm really excited. That's for great. That. that is great. That'll, that'll be a good podcast. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're writing. It's because you don't just stay in one area and nor do you shy away from being a little experimental or just bringing mm-hmm. in so many different pieces together, which very much aligns with with my personality as well of like, I'm interested in literature and bringing in religion, like East, uh, like Eastern mysticism and Western Christianity and science. And I'm not afraid of making certain extrapolations about the universe Mm -hmm. and claims possibly. Whereas somebody like Sam Harris is very careful (laughs) with what he says about his psychedelic experiences or, or any kind of, uh, ultra conscious experience um, that he very much brackets it in a very scientific realm where, whereas I am much more open to saying certain things that aren't scientifically provable, but are, but what seem to be true to me and seem to be true by a certain kind of innate spiritual impulse, you might say. And so you, you seem to do a good job of bringing both the science and some of the, the mysterious mystical parts of, the psychedelic world. So, so I, I appreciate that you're not just a, just a a scientific thinker looking at psychedelics, and nor are you just a uh, psychedelic fanatic who's just <laughs> interested in, in just the the woo woo mystical stuff without having, I think, um, without having any scientific understanding of what might be going on here. So, I, I really appreciate the writings that you've done. Thank you, thank you. That's very flattering. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to write about or talk about. Uh, and I think the reason I'm bringing all of these different aspects into it, like you talked about the content of the writing, I, you also often put drawings in, uh, and I try to switch between different modes of talking about it. And I think that the reason for that is I'm trying to sort of honor the complexity of the experience itself. And I want to, as much as possible, not narrow it down uh, before the, uh, you know, uh, unless this happens without uh, me trying, which which is what happens when you try to put this stuff in words, you inevitably make it simpler than what it is. But I try to at least resist it and uh, uh, use some playful techniques to make a kind of a mosaic of interpretations and uh, descriptions of what actually happened. Yeah. And I mean, can we say the same thing about many religions and that they're simplifying something that can't actually be expressed in human terms. They're trying to channelize the the cosmic mystery of the universe into something that just, just naturally can't actually be expressed, but, but by, I think you mentioned this too in your writing and, and many other um, individuals like, like Alan Watts have 
talked about how we, through through words through religious allegories through you know you know pick your tradition whether it's a zen koan or it's christian allegories or it's any kind of buddhist story or the, the hindu mythologies they're all pointing they're all aiming towards something that's mm-hmm. transcendent that, that can't actually be expressed in human terms and i mean just 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 one thought on that is that sometimes i think religious people can get too hooked on the symbols or too hooked on what exactly jesus said at this time and what that means and uh mm-hmm. you know what's the exact interpretation of what he was saying and sometimes they get lost too much into the the theological minutia at the expense of um a true pure connection with god yeah it's it's that old bruce lee quote right that there's a finger pointing to the moon don't concentrate on the finger i think what happens oftentimes with these religions is there's this body of work that's inspired by devoted to the religious experience but then the social structures that are built around these religious beliefs end up removing the experience from the equation uh and so people get bogged down in the texts and the rituals and this and that and forget that uh it's all supposed to lead to an experience i think buddhists are you know better at this than other world religions because meditation has become a common practice and my understanding it's, it hasn't been that way always it's like in the 1950s or something uh they started to popularize meditation where previously it was only monks and even a subset of monks who do it but at least there's this experience that that uh you're supposed to be engaged in uh in order to make sense of the writings or whatever the culture around it and uh, if we take Christianity let's say i think there is very little of that in mainstream uh churches there's more of a, you know it's a community it's a place there's a, a church and you go there every sunday and this and that but uh you're not even trying to like talk to god and if you do and god speaks back to you well that's fucking weird <laughs> this is uh kind you of looked down upon i know i know many christians who talk to god or who have mm-hmm. talked to god and that's very much supported by the church okay fair enough yeah so maybe maybe it's more present in some traditions than in others and even yeah, in christian yeah. but the the basic problem i think is there this kind of alienation from the religious experience and replacing the experience with things that have been said or drawn about it yeah yeah for sure and i mean it's i'm i'm very interested in how some of these great prophets and mystics have these profound revelatory experiences and how they they transformed the communities around them and inspired others to live an ethical uh and like like an ethically engaged charitable compassionate life like like I'm very interested in what kind of experience Jesus Christ had and how he was able to do many of the things that he did and inspire other people by with such unconditional love and compassion like that's very interesting to me and I think there needs to be more conversation around uh, what uh 
what kind of experiences somebody like that had. And I, I mean, you know, like the, this is Christian heresy, but from a Hindu perspective, which is more of a universal perspective, what, what somebody like Christ achieved is possible to be achieved by anybody. That state of ultimate transcendence, right? It's, it's capable within everybody, not within just some individual beings, right? Anybody right. can be a guru, a sage or a mystic because God is within everybody in the Hindu tradition, which right. is, is more and more what I'm aligning with personally is uh, not, not kind of mainstream Hinduism, but uh, a tradition called Advaita Vedanta, which is very much like mm-hmm. Theravada Buddhism. Mm-hmm. That very much expresses in that it's sorry. It very much emphasizes direct experience of God or Brahman, as opposed to worshiping mythological idols or obsessing over scriptures. It's a, uh, very much about the direct experience and so it's yeah i'm i'm you know from that perspective it's very interesting to look at what kind of experience jesus had and what other sages and mystics had throughout the ages and how we can be like that yeah uh, that makes me think of uh something that a friend of mine once said which is maybe Jesus' story is like a cautionary tale. Like, this is what you're not supposed to do if you have that experience. You realize you're, you know, one with the universe and you're a child of God and God is within you, etc., etc. What you're not supposed to do in this situation is form a cult and get people following you and start, uh, you know, making speeches and uh, invite the attention of authorities to your actions because what all of that leads to is you get crucified and maybe instead if you just try to help your neighbor and you know do your thing in a small way and uh try to get this worldview a way of relating to the world across through modest small actions uh then maybe maybe it would be more successful which you know is just a kind of a funny thought but uh it comes comes up for me every time that i uh think of the historical jesus yeah <laughs> that is funny although for, from the christian perspective he obviously well, what he did was incredibly noble he died for our sins sure sure he, he yeah. could he performed all the miracles and healed so many people and and the resurrection all that stuff and through him jesus said i am the way the life the truth so through him, you're going to experience God, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not dissing the, you know, the official narrative, uh, but I like, I like having multiple ones to sure. entertain yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in terms of, you know, you're writing on psychedelics, you know, well, one thing that I'm just thinking about right now is just the, the kind of, tediousness of life the kind of monotonous Mm -hmm. humdrum rhythms of life it's like Mm -hmm. life is life is all about repetition you're doing the same things every day more or less (laughs) you know i mean uh, unless you're fleeing russia and going to armenia (laughs) which is pretty big transition and of course those happen you still need to brush your teeth every day you know yes yeah 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 even there you're not just in some alternate dimension you're still (laughs) You're yeah. still living in this. You're still inhabiting the same body, having the same experience. And uh, you know, I, I'm actually writing about my second MDMA trip right now, um, and mm-hmm. what that what that revealed to me. 
And and one of the things that I'm focusing on is just how real that experience was, how alive it was, how it was so invigorating. It felt so real. Like I was feeling things throughout my body, my mind. I was feeling emotions. I was feeling euphoria, sadness, happiness. It just, it, it felt so magically alive. And in comparison to uh, my present experience, waking up every day, it's, it, it feels very monotonous. And, and like I'm going through the motions doing like the same things uh, over and over again. And there's this kind of grayness, like kind of a gray cloud over this experience that I think many people feel from just doing the same thing over and over again. It's yeah. Just, there, there, there's a lack of, you know, transcendental beauty within the ordinary and, you know, you know, Buddhists have techniques and practices that aim at experiencing the transcendental through the mundane, but, but psychedelics can offer a beautiful perspective on that specific area and I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that as I'm thinking about this right now. Like, through your psychedelic experiences, have they added a certain kind of beauty or appreciation for the mundane? They have, um, though it is difficult or it can be difficult to retain. So, you have a psychedelic experience, then there's a day of afterglow. Then there's, you know, a week goes by, two weeks go by, and at at some point you, you know, this experience fades away and you're back to your normal life. Um, And I think there is a danger here of getting used to relying on these chemicals to achieve that state. Uh, So I always try to process the experience, integrate the experience, get something out of it to put into the mundane uh, that would make it less mundane. And uh, that can be difficult. Um, but but that's, that's what I always try to do. Yeah. Yeah, so why don't we drill into some of your specific experiences? And uh, in this uh, article of yours that I was reading, um, I don't know if you saw I mm-hmm. in the description. Uh, the Soviet Man and the Inner Cosmos. Anybody else yeah, those, should check it out. Yeah. Those are my first two DMT experiences ever, yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there, there's a lot there that I'm, I'm very curious about. But, I mean, maybe maybe we can even just kind of skip ahead, possibly. And, and well, actually, let me first ask you, how many DMT trips have you done since those first two? Um, honestly, I wouldn't know the answer to that. Uh, pure DMT, I think it must have been four more times. But then I've also had a bunch of experiences with this uh, thing called changa, which is uh, sometimes people refer to it as smokable ayahuasca. It's like a blend of herbs dried out that you smoke, uh, and one of those contains DMT. But it's not, you know, the Western way of like, this is the chemical and we purified it and here's the, you know, powder. Um, and so it's a different kind of a trip, uh, but it's unmistakably DMT. And that one I've done, I don't know, 
I'm not sure, six, eight times, something like that. And uh, the doses varied. So this includes mild experiences and uh, pretty intense ones. Mm. And you have you done ayahuasca and mushrooms? Mushrooms I've done, yeah, a bunch of times. Also wouldn't be able to count. Uh, ayahuasca I have no experience with. Okay. And I guess one way to get into this would be, is there one specific experience with DMT or, you know, maybe, maybe just pick one experience, if you can recall, that was really transformative for you, that had the most uh, after effects. It was the experience that you integrated the most in your life afterwards. Are there any one or two DMT experiences that really changed your life after them? Uh, sure, yeah. So I'm thinking about two different trips. One is in that piece that you refer to, mm-hmm. uh, Soviet Man in the Inner Cosmos. So though, that, that's th- that, that thing is about two experiences, uh, my very first ones. Uh, and the first one was just overwhelming and didn't leave me with much actionable. Um, it was it felt like an invitation to pay attention, to learn, to figure it out. Uh, and I've tried throughout the trip uh, and was on the verge uh, several times of, of, or it felt like I was on the verge of understanding something very important. But then I backed away because it felt that, so this is hard to talk about. It's difficult to put this in words, but um, let me try. So there was, it felt like there's this process in which everything uh, is combined. All of the, everything that life is, everything that consciousness is, is this one process. And I was being invited to really pay attention and take part in the process. And, uh, and it felt that, so I would like make some progress in uh, engaging with this thing. And then I would get scared because I would think, wait a second, if I do understand, if I get this thing, if I really participate in it and complete the thing that is trying to be completed, that's irreversible. And it feels like I'm like that process is also myself. And so if I really get it, then I'd be a different person or entity or whatever. Something will happen to me because I'm building this thing using myself as material. And so I would feel like, I'm not sure because I still don't understand what it is that I'm dealing with. I don't know if I want to complete this process before I understand what it is. But then the paradox is, in order to understand what it is, you must complete it. So I would go back and forth uh, in this way. And that's where the trip left me. I came down. I'm like, okay, so there's something very intense happening, but I don't know what it is. I don't know how to exactly get about it. Uh, And so the next trip felt like, okay, so you've seen a glimpse of it. Now let's really try to understand it. And there I was given a lot of time and I was calm and I would just pay attention to what is what was being presented to me. And that I wouldn't be able to put in words, I'm sure. Uh, but 
But there is this thing about DMT where even if you can't put it in words, you might feel that you get it. Uh, so it's not intellectual, but but experiential. And what that led to in terms of consequences is I started doing more writing and drawing and I started treating life itself as a creative project more uh, and a creative project that I should approach with responsibility. Uh, I, you know, an artist should value his integrity and that is true not only when you're talking about writing or drawing or doing something like that, that's your life as well. Your life is this process of creation uh, that happens every second and you try to, you should try to do it well. And, you know, I know this is vague, but but that did change my life. Like I wrote that thing, I sent it to Bob Wright, he forwarded it to John Horgan. That led to a friendship and a couple of um, gigs, like jobs, where I would illustrate his books. And that started my psychedelic writing, which then developed into maybe career is a little too early to say, to use that word, but vocation. Um, and um, and it's built into every area of life. The conversations that I would have about it with friends were also sort of challenging creative projects, like how do I talk about this without simplifying it, uh, without treating it carelessly. And so there are there mm. were a lot of these small changes, I guess changes in attitude more than anything, uh, that all had an impact on my life. So the key was viewing life more as a creative process and having more of a like artistic visionary kind of outlook on many things. Yeah. Yeah. Being more interested in like having a more, maybe like a more curious or like, how do I um, channelize this energy that I have in different ways, like a, a curiosity towards how to express yourself and maybe like being more curious about, just like the like other creative processes like nature or other people mm-hmm. was there a curiosity element as well for sure yeah yeah that's definitely something that DMT would do to you because you experience something that you had no idea was possible and now you're back into this world and you understand that this these things are not separate this world uh is something that uh you wouldn't be able to predict if you weren't taking part in it already. And the humdrum of existence, you know, it comes from repetition, comes from the fact that we've been here for a long time now. Uh, but if you somehow remind yourself how fucking weird this all is, how much of it you don't understand, how much of it you take for granted, um, then it can sort of jolt you out of that humdrum approach to things really it's not the situation we're in this humdrum it's how we treat it uh and yeah so i started taking life at the same time more seriously and more playful you know like this is this is a creative project that i've been involved in for a long time and uh, Mm -hmm. i'm still doing it and so i should try to play my part well um and in order to do that i need to pay attention to what is happening at every moment and then to 
try to do something with the experiences that are happening. Um, yeah, so it's, I don't know how else to put it. It's just a change in perspective that then yeah. changes everything that you do if you choose to try to accomplish that because you could also not try and then yeah. in a week you won't be able to remember what that incredible experience was like and then you can easily slip back into the mundane mundane parts or mundane what approach to life yeah and you mentioned playfulness as well mm-hmm. you, you had more like was life more fun or did you approach it more as like you're you're playing in this great cosmic drama as alan watts would say you got you have to play your part you've been given this mask this mask of nikita and you have to do what you are called to and play your part in this big film and then when the lights when the lights turn off then you know who knows what happens but while the time you're here which we have no idea how long is Mm-hmm. to continue just playing this part and making the most fun out of every moment. Was that a feeling as well? Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily fun. Uh, like, I want there okay. to be some fun in, in in my experience and in sort of in this creative project. Like, if you're thinking about, you know, writing a story, let's say. Let's say a fiction, short, sci-fi story. Uh it's up to you as the author to figure out what qualities you want that story to have. Maybe you want it to be sad. Maybe you want it to be funny at the same time. Uh, you want it to mean something, but you don't want it to be boring, etc., etc. So the same kind of approach can be applied to life itself. And so it's not one thing. It's not just fun or uh, mean or beauty. It's whatever cocktail you want to make. Uh, if you want your life to be fun and beautiful and meaningful and uh, filled with love and whatnot, then those are the things you need to add to it. It's up to you because you are the author of the thing. And then uh, the other important aspect of it to me was... Um, Realizing that you don't have to be choosing from the options that you've been made aware of. So if you're, I don't know, thinking about your career or what it is that you want to do, you don't have to be thinking about it as like, well, here are the paths. You can be a politician or an engineer or a writer or an artist or this or that. Those, all of those things are sort of patterns that we've created, uh, but you don't have to choose one of the patterns that has been before you started. So you can be a political artist or, uh, you know, a mystical scientist or whatever. You can mix these things in any way you want or you can invent something new, a whole path that didn't even exist before. That's all here. You know, it's up to you what actions you want to take, how you want to mix them, what kind of uh, thing or process you can build uh, out of the possibilities available to you. 
Does that make sense? I'm not sure if this yes. makes sense. No, no, I, I think it makes sense as much as it can make sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> again, we're, we're talking about things that don't make sense. So, <laughs> um, and you mentioned oneness, this idea of everything being one. That experience mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that something that you better understood in later experiences? This idea of everything being one, or was it pretty clear from the first experience? Well, it was clear at the time. It's a little hard to maintain that understanding, uh, and it's not even understanding. It's like it, it's something felt. What you want it to be is is something that you feel at every moment, and that can be difficult to maintain. But uh, but I've gotten better at it for sure. It, it's still you know I'm nowhere nowhere close to having like an understanding that they can formulate and put in writing and, and, and here we have it. Or even embedded in just my own experience and be content with uh, knowing that I'm doing uh, this project correctly. Uh, but there's a spectrum and I definitely, these experiences have definitely mo- uh, allowed me to move closer to uh uh, knowing how to do this and and then practice it. Mm. Yeah, I, I've been. Have you read Alan Watts, by the way? I have a little. Uh, I, I the way of Zen, uh, and and maybe something else, and then I've listened to his talks quite a bit. So I, I'm aware of him, but uh, not. I haven't like studied him. I I haven't uh, read a ton of his work. Mm. Yeah, I, I've mostly just been listening to his recordings, which are mm-hmm. available on Sam Harris's meditation app now. Waking mm-hmm. up, he acquired 100 plus hours of Alan Watts, so I've been listening to it every day. <laughs> just so much incredible content there that I highly recommend people go check out. Great. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been reading his book called The Book, The Taboo Against Knowing Yourself, and mm-hmm. also some of his extended talks surrounding that book available in the waking up app and he talks about the core idea of vedanta in hinduism which is about oneness about there being one one infinite process and we in the west we like to cut things up into different pieces and we like to isolate variables we like to separate between x and y and z and white and black and you and me and different teams against each other and alan watts paints this beautiful picture of this underlying unity between everything like the, you know, the, you know, you are the world and the world is you, you are acting in the world and the world is acting in you. That's, that's right. You know, that's one process. And he, he runs through several examples, which, which I think have really shifted my perspective in perhaps similar ways that your DMT experiences have, or perhaps they might gel together really well. And maybe I should do DMT at some point. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or you should maybe read into this more if you haven't already. But he, he, he gives examples like, you know, like if you say um, Joe is Joe, Joe is walking on the road, you're you're isolating, you know, the road and Joe. It's like Joe is the one who's acting right on the road, right. but really that is not a whole description because it matters what environment Joe is in. Um, what the different, uh, like, like what the weather's like, um, the, you know, what kind of road it is, 
um, the, you know, the, the density of the road and the, 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 the geometrical shape of the place that he's in, you know, it's, you know, it, it, you know, it, it matters if Joe, if, if Joe is trying to walk on uh, a big slide of mud or if he's walking on the beach or if he's walking in water or, you know, a hot place or a really cold place, you know, that changes what an individual does, right? The, the environment shapes the organism and then the, the organism also shapes the environment, right? It's not just, they're not two separate things, right? Right, and, right. You know, and, and he, you know, he, he explains various examples like black and white. It's like you, you know what black is because you know what white is. And you know what white is because you know what black is. Without one, right. you can't know the other. And same between self and world. Um, without the world, you wouldn't know yourself. And without yourself, you wouldn't know the world. They, they, they go together. You know, you know what it's like to, you, you know what self is. And therefore, you know what the world is and vice versa, right? They're, they're, they're separate things, but they go together. And same with um, something like two teams playing against each other in a football match. It's, it, it seems like they're against each other. It seems like they're oppositional forces, but really they, they're, they're dancing together because one team scores and that forces the other team to play harder and try to move the ball around. And then, then the other team then responds to that and it creates for a really entertaining match, the more each team pushes against each other. Right. And so there it's two, two things that seem oppositional that create something beautiful, right? You can't just have one team just, just kicking balls in an empty net. And you know, you can't just be, you you can't really be a fan and just enjoy a team scoring on an empty net repeatedly. It's you need the other team. You need an oppositional force to experience uh, victory to experience success you need hardship to experience uh happiness joy success you you need you know you need desperate you need depression and deep anxiety to feel something like euphoria unconditional love uh compassion things like that so all that to say that there's this underlying unity that i think that the hindus correctly emphasize a lot in their scriptures and Buddhists too, to some extent about the universe all being one big infinite process. And instead of always finding differences between ourselves, like you and me, me in the world, black and white, X and Y, we can try to see it more as a unifying process rather than a dividing one. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of um, the other metaphor i guess that's used in uh religions or how do i put it Uh, there are different ways of looking at things and one is the world is created you're a creation of god everything is a creation of god and you're uh, you're not a creator yourself you're the creation and what's more appealing to me is the notion of co-authorship of reality so the self and the world are two as you say two things that seem to be opposite to one another in some sense but the the only reason they're opposite they're put into this opposition is so that uh something would happen when you put them together Uh, like if you think about again creative metaphors you know you're painting something you're using paint you're using uh canvas these things 
limit what you can do, but those limitations are there so that something would come out of it. So you, when you're paying, you're sort of co-creating uh, the the product of your work with these materials. You go against the resistance of the material, um, but but you don't think of it as your enemy, and so you you play a part in this process of creating the thing. And again, the same can be said about life itself. You're engaged with the world, and the reason you're perceiving yourself as separate from the world is so that uh, you can use yourself as a, as a creative artistic tool to paint on the canvas that you've been given. Uh, again, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it does. It does. And uh, within the Hindu conception of the universe, it's, it's not so much a top-down hierarchy. Mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in some sense, like it's not like God, the creator, God, the, the master technician, God, the, the Lord, the almighty being that's, that has created you. It's more of, uh, God, the God is just the universe. God is the, uh, the, the unitary substance of the universe. It's like atoms or molecules and everybody has them. It's more of God, the experience God as consciousness is what's described in many uh, mystical Hindu texts. They, they call it pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is God, that state of, in, in meditation, when you transcend the self and all all uh, distinctions cancel out and there's just, the, the boundary between self and the world has been shattered and there's just plain, pure unadulterated experience that that is god and the more we connect with that experience the more we'll be able to break through maya maya means the illusion of the world and mm-hmm. continually and continually breaking that illusion and recognizing our true self is how one connects more and more with god i find that to be very interesting it's something that i'm practicing a lot in my meditations and hopefully with more psychedelic experiences in the future yeah as you were speaking I thought of the situation I and the world find ourselves in at the moment which is there's war and I mean this is like what's close to my experience there's war in Ukraine there's a, what I would call a fascist crackdown in Russia and none of that feels like what I would want this process of creation be, and uh, and and it, you know it, it it makes it harder to embrace the kind of worldview that you're describing, which I think is correct. Like I I, I subscribe to it myself, but but then you're faced with these questions, like, well, why why is this uh, killing and torturing and raping? is happening and if there is no distinction between me and the world then uh that means i'm taking part in it and then why am i taking part in it and how do i stop taking part in it how do i um play my cards right so that there's less suffering in the world 
Um, those are all kind of rhetoric. I mean, they're not rhetorical questions. That are, there are questions that are very important to answer, but I'm afraid I don't have any answers on that. And I'm just thinking about these questions uh, without coming to a resolution. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally feel you. Do you, want, do you want to talk about your second DMT experience? Was it transformative? Because you said there were two, right? We talked right. about the first one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just very interested in the DMT experience and I just want to learn more and I want to know about your transformative experiences and what they revealed to you and how they transformed your life. So are there any other uh, experiences you would like to talk about? Ah, давайте. Ага, спасибо, я не знал где. Sorry. Да, да, спасибо. Спасибо большое. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no worries. Yeah, okay. Second transformative experience. Uh, yeah, so the thing I alluded to earlier was that would be my sixth i guess and like the first two that came in uh, a couple right the first one posed uh these questions for in front of me and then the second gave me an opportunity to figure out some answers same kind of thing happened with the fifth and the sixth um it'll take some time to relate the story so during the fifth experience it was the same kind of thing okay so it, this is characteristic of dmt experiences you feel like you're engaging with reality on a very fundamental level what you're seeing in front of you and what you're feeling inside are what there is this one syncretic process out of which out of which everything uh, emerges and and there's this thing that is happening and you're invited to take part in it. And, and that's what I've, I was going through until, until I uh, became kind of unconvinced by the experience. So the word, as is uh, common in these DMT flashes, there were entities that were present and they were really pushing me to like really urgently take part, understand what is going on. And I was trying to do it and not succeeding. And they were saying, come on, come on, you, you got to do this. And I spent some time doing that. And then I think, wait a second, there's something wrong here. Something is lacking. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like this, what is being presented as everything that there is really is everything. There's something not quite right. And at that moment, a few things happened. First, I remember that I have a body, which uh, was the first time on, on DMT where I realized, oh, there is a person with a body that's going through this because the experience is so intense that uh, it's easy to forget uh, wh where it started. Uh, and so I remembered I had a body. And the reason I remember that is it turned out that my body was making some sounds and was moving. And the pitch of that sound that I was making changed from higher to lower. And the movements in the body and the intention in the body moved from, I don't know, the chest or some, some upper part of the body uh, below. And at that moment, the visionary hallucinatory experience itself also changed and changed completely. 
and I find myself in a different place with different entity. And it also felt like this is the thing, the reality on the most fundamental level. But the whole tenor of the experience has changed, where the first one felt like intellectual is probably not the right word because I wasn't like thinking in phrases, but a kind of cognitive experience, head experience. And the second one felt primal and erotic. The entity there was some kind of a goddess dancing in flames. And the whole thing you're felt... Talking about, you're, you're talking about the fifth and the sixth right now? Like the first I'm, talking about, very... I'm talking about the fifth, uh, the, the progression that I've gone oh. through during the fifth one. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So when you say the first one was cognitive and the second one was more, like, mystical, perhaps, or whatever word you want to use, you're saying within the same trip. Yeah, that was with, the within the same okay. the same trip, yeah. And so what I discovered and what the trip ended on is that I can travel from one place to another. So I spent some time in this cognitive mode, then it went into this more... Um, Erotic is the way is the word I, I think I'm going to use, um, and then I spent some time there, and it was much much better. Erotic uh, is in like like sexual erotic. Yeah, yeah. There is like oh. so so if in the first in the first part, uh, the way to put it in words again limiting the experience immensely, but uh, a way to put it in words is it felt like the universe is trying to understand itself, to learn uh, what is happening, and I need to take part in this. And this, everything that there is is this one process of the universe trying to understand itself. And then in the second part, there was, again, this feeling like this is the only thing that happens, but a way to put that one in words would be everything that there is is everything's fucking with everything else. Uh, the what life is, what consciousness is, what, uh, you know, how you can describe reality is the universe is making love to itself. And so wow. this was much more pleasurable to, uh, to engage in. But then I again felt, well, something's like in here too. There's like, it's all great, but what is the meaning of it all? And as I started, started thinking that again the sounds i was making changed i went back to the first place and then until the end of the trip i oscillated i would go to one place spend some time there think this is not quite compelling sometimes like and go to the second place spend some time there think this is great but sometimes like in here too and i would go between these phases at one point i felt like I'm in the middle, in the space between them, not moving to either one or another. And I felt like uh, like a fool doing that too, because it felt like, okay, here's one way to engage with the experience. Here's another one. And I'm sort of taking a step back and I'm not doing either. And you can't do that because experience keeps happening. Life keeps happening. You can't not engage with it. And so that was where the trip ended, me trying to navigate this, uh, you know, number of places um, and not knowing how to do it. And so then the next time I did DMT, 
I went into it thinking, okay, so I've, I know that I can navigate uh, this landscape of experience, and I'm going to try to do that and try to experiment and see uh, what could be a good approach to this. And so that one felt very, uh, what should I say, productive or something, because I started out with this kind of creative experimental um, way of thinking about it, way of approaching it. And so I didn't, now I didn't, I wasn't choosing between these options that were there. I was mixing them in any way I felt uh, I should. So if I felt that there should be humor in this experience, I would add that kind of paint. Uh, and if I felt there should be a sexual dimension here, I would add that. And so it felt like uh, this playful, again, uh, way of mixing the different qualities of life, different aspects of it. Uh, and it was up to me what ratio I want to choose or what progression from one feeling to another. Uh, and so that felt like pure creation. Um and so I, when, when, when you were adding these things, like when you were, so you're adding the the paint uh -huh. of humor, was there some humor that you then experienced? Yeah, I would giggle, and I I, I wouldn't. It's not like there was a one liner joke that I could uh, quote now, <laughs> but but I was in it. You know, I found something funny about what was happening, and I laughed, and then I found something whatever arousing. And then I found something meaningful and something, whatever, intense, scary, beautiful. sad, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It was up to me how I want to mix all these things. Uh, and that, again, you know, left me with a kind of a creative impulse. So, like, the first thing I've done after the trip was over is I opened my notebook and I drew several symbols, icons, for the various projects or ideas I've been thinking about. And I looked at them and thought, okay, well, this one looks good, but it's not funny at all. And I want it to be at least a little bit funny. And so I wanted to, that made me want to look at the things that I'm doing and add the qualities to them that I want to be present in whatever I'm doing. Uh, mix them in, um, in proportions that I find harmonious. Right. So you, so there, the experience seems to have expressed a kind of like supreme authorship or creatorship. You were the yeah. creator. You were, you were able to create kind of whatever you wanted with the, like, not in terms of like, you can just, well, like, like, obviously, in life, you want so many things. Like, I want this amazing car. I want this amazing person. I want, want this, this, that. And you can't just create that or nothing. But with the tools you have, you know, if you're, you know, you know, wherever you are, you can add some humor. You can add some love. You can add some compassion. You can add some mystical quality to your life with whatever you have, right? Like, with whatever limitations you have, you can create something with your own will. Was that kind That's of right. one of the takeaways of the experience, the kind of like supreme authorship? Uh, I would say co-authorship. Uh, because mm. as you're saying, you're working with these 
You can say limitations, uh, you can say materials, you can, you know, whatever you have in front of you, that's what you're working with, but it is you who are working with it. I guess maybe a, a, a good metaphor could be a conversation or a relationship. You know, you're talking to, like, if you're talking to somebody and it's just a boring conversation, uh, that's partly on you. You can make it less boring. You can try to learn more about the person you're talking to and make a joke and maybe they'll laugh and maybe then they'll have, they'll have something interesting to say. If you're not trying to make the conversation interesting, uh, then you shouldn't be then upset about it not being interesting. You're a part of the thing. Uh, right. Or a relationship. You know, you're with a woman and anything that is happening in your relationship is you too doing it. Well, the same can be said about reality broadly. It's you and the world, you and all the yes. people that you're engaged with. Uh, and so it's not that you have total control, but you have an ability to participate in any way that you see fit. Uh, and so you should use those opportunities. That was one mm. thing. And that was, it, it, you know, I'm putting this in words now. Um, that thing was much less about like articulation of the principle itself. It, it felt more like a skill that you practice. Like, you know, if you're, if you know how to learn a bike, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can explain how to ride a bike. And even if you do, that would probably be of little help to somebody who wants to learn how to ride a bike. But right. if you have a bike in front of you, you can try to ride it. And if you try 10 times on the 11th, you're probably going to ride it. Uh, so it was mm. more, more uh, like that. Like I had whatever, 20 minutes in this trip to practice being creative when it comes to reality itself. And then, after the trip ended, I was better at it because I've practiced. Mm. And then the other thing that actually relates, I guess, to how we started the conversation, you talking about your difficult LSD trip, is I uh, became acutely aware of this connection between the body and everything else. Because those experiences, the, the way I was changing my experience and the way I first found out that I can't change my experience had to do with the body. It was you know, where in the body your attention is located uh, defines how the experience is. Um, and so that is much more actionable, I guess, in the sense that once you understand that this connection is there, that everything that is happening has to do with the body and body has to do with everything that is happening, that can guide you to, well figuring out what is happening to your body, paying attention to what is happening in your body. Uh, I, I can't say that I've been very successful at it, but at least I am on this path now. Like I, I know that that connection is there and I need to be aware of it and figure out how to use it or how to accommodate it. Uh, and so that made me more, I guess, embodied uh, which which I normally am um, not so much. Mm. Mm, interesting. And I'm, I guess I'm just really curious now, 
as to what future DMT experiences were like. I mean, were, were, were these the last ones you did or was there any more after this? No, that was so all that I've talked about uh, by now are with pure DMT. And then I've had mm-hmm. a bunch with Chang after that. And those I think are much harder to talk about. Um, mm. One of them led to a conversation I taped with Glenn, Glenn Lowry. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember I, that. Yeah. yeah, I tried to speak about it a little bit, but but I didn't go um, at length because I knew I, I would, wouldn't be able to communicate it anyway. But they had to... The main... I, I was curious about. It. I was curious more about what that was like when I was watching mm-hmm. you talk about it. And obviously, you know, you know, Glenn, Glenn's audience is not exactly psychedelic hippies, so right, right, <laughs> wouldn't have made sense for you to go at, at such right. great length describing those things. But I was curious more about what those experiences were like for you. Yeah, the thing that I can at least try to put in words out of the most recent uh, Changa experience. Uh, that was, you know, fairly intense, had to do with, again, this notion of everything being connected to everything else. Um, so I I would stand there and pay attention to some parts of the visionary experience, experience I was in, and I would realize that, that part corresponds to something in my body and that corresponds to something in the world. And I would try to figure out these connections and uh, the nature of these processes that I'm looking at. And again, I can't say that I figured out the nature of those processes, but the sense of connection that nothing is separate from anything else was very, very present there. And so I would think about like, there are things that I find problematic. Uh, might be a tense muscle in my body, might be somebody sitting in jail in Russia for political protest. And those are not con- not disconnected from one another or from anything else. And so if there's Putin somewhere, there's there must be something corresponding to him in the experience that I'm going through. Like I've never met Putin. I don't actually know if he exists if I only rely on my direct experience uh you know he might be a cgi uh image on uh on the screen of my tv but he is nevertheless a very powerful presence in my life like it's because of him that i left russia it's because of him that there are people being bombed in ukraine and so i would try to think of like okay so there's that thing that's not in my direct experience. I don't have a direct experience of Putin. There are these experiences that I do uh, have a direct relationship with, like a pain in my body. And somehow it all is connected. And I would try to figure out how. And I can't say, again, that I have, but it, uh, it gave me an impulse to you know, think about it or try to try to figure that out. And so I guess I've been on this project ever since. Uh, and it's, you know, a creative challenge. You, you Now, as I'm writing Psychopolitica, I'm trying to uh, take this question up uh, continuously. This was your last 
experience with uh, how do you say it again? Chikanga. Changa, yeah. Changa. Uh, this was your last experience on Changa. Yes, last mm. to date. Mm. Interesting. And uh, how how often do you do DMT and Changa and mushrooms? Is there some interval you do this in, or after doing a DMT trip, do you feel like doing it again after a certain amount of weeks, or is there is there any kind of necessity that you feel for doing? changa or dmt in your life with dmt i always feel right after the experience i always feel i should do this more often i <laughs> should there's like mm. a lot to unpack yeah. here uh but then i don't for stretches of time because i'm not actually sure why there's some you know force within my psyche or something that prevents me from doing it regular like really regularly uh, and i think it's I think it has to do with this thing we talked about earlier, the uh, importance of integrating the experience. Like, I feel I shouldn't be just jumping back into that ocean unless I get something out of the... Like, I, I have enough... Like, when I come back from the trip, I have enough things to work with and I need to do something with them, change my life in some way uh, mm. before I sort of go into another class, you know, like it's, you, you yes. go there, you do the thing. Now you need to do your homework before you come back and uh, take the next step. Right. And do you feel like you're able to do that every time or do it the best you can? And then you're able, to, and then you feel you can, you deserve to do, do this again and then take away more lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends, you know, sometimes it's a long time before between the trips, sometimes shorter. Um, it's also not something I have uh, incredible amount of control. Like I don't have just DMT lying around. Uh, I like right now I'm in Armenia. I don't have any connections here. Uh, so again, there's a kind of a co-authorship thing going on where, you need to feel ready and then an opportunity needs to arise. Uh, and when these things coincide, that means there is a, this is the time for the next trip. Right. And do you pair this with any kind of prayer, meditation, contemplative practice? Because I mean, when, when you read Buddhist texts or Hindu texts, it's obviously the, the enlightenment that you're looking for. It's, it's it can be experienced fully just through yourself sitting down mm -hmm. with your eyes closed and taking deep breaths <laughs> and and ideally the psychedelic tools are supposed to aim more in that direction where you're able to have profound transcendental experiences without the use of any chemical agents so do you pair your psychedelic trips with anything else uh i try to meditate and uh i'm sometimes better at it than at others uh there have been stretches of my life where i would meditate daily i am not in that stretch of my life right now but i do meditate every once in a while um and it's a question of discipline i guess or practice or something along those lines uh where i just need to learn to turn it into a good habit um but 
but I don't always succeed. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I guess if there's one thing that I may be at based on Sam Harris's meditation app that I use a lot and also reading the Advaita Vedanta Hindu texts and Buddhist texts, it's about breaking the illusion of self, Uh recognizing that you are not your thoughts. You are not your, Uh you are not the internal circus that's in your mind. You are not your, your, your sexual impulses, your greed, your, your laziness, your whatever impulse you have. That is not who you are. You are pure consciousness as it talks about in the Hindu texts. Sam Harris sometimes calls it pure awareness. Uh-huh. And recognizing the illusory nature of oneself seems to be the door to ultimate liberation. And I'm very interested in experiencing that. And apparently when you experience it, when you experience that, it's not about necessarily some peak euphoric meditative experience. It, it's more like your operating system just fundamentally changes. And you just, just every moment you're able to access this transcendental quality of the universe that that's that's how sam harris describes it in some ways that's what the hindu texts say that's what the buddhist texts say so that that's something that i'm aiming more towards and is that something you've focused on at all sure yeah i don't i don't really set up that goal for myself uh like you know transcend the self but that seems to be where all of these practices lead me to. Uh, and so I try to focus on the practice um, to, you know, not, not, not get obsessed with achieving some kind of a goal because that is also kind of, uh, what is the word to use here? Sort of contra- self-defeating. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you're, we're talking about how everything is already here. You're already the world, part of the world. There is no distinction between you and the world. And so if you focus on dismantling that distinction somehow, it it seems paradoxical. You you don't need to dismantle anything. It's already there. Uh, You just need to figure out how to get in contact with that. And but yeah, yeah, it's is the direction that I'm slowly moving towards, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also want to talk about your uh, any profound life-changing experiences you've had with psilocybin mushrooms. Is there um, a particular trip we could talk about, or a particular series of trips um, to 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 end this conversation? I'm, I'm very curious how mushrooms come into the fold and how how they uh, gel with your your day-to-day life and your other dmt experiences with mushrooms it's harder for me to point to a single experience and explain like here's how it affected my life here's ways in in which are found uh it's much more open-ended i suppose there are stories i can tell like here's what happened in this trip and here's what happened that trip uh, but it's harder to trace the experience to, you know, changes in my life afterwards. Um, let me see so if I like, can... Like, yeah, the, go ahead. Maybe like the, the two most like powerful experience or experiences or the most memorable ones or ones that just don't leave your mind or, you know, maybe consciously things didn't shift for you. Maybe it didn't 
you didn't consciously change your life after, but something unconsciously shifted in you. Some sort of profound realization or vision that you had. Well, let me just share whatever comes to my mind. Um, so here's one. Um, so mushrooms, unlike LSD, LSD never gives me, uh, or at least hasn't so far, given me like a visionary experience with intense hallucinations and whatnot. Mushrooms do do that, and mushrooms uh, sometimes give me these sort of dreamlike, fairy tale like plot lines uh, in which I'm engaged in. And so here's one, uh, and I guess I'm thinking about it because of the DMT one I just spoke about uh, with the connection between the body and the mind and where the focus of attention in the body is and the content of the trip. The same kind of thing happened to me in mushrooms where I would go up and down this, I don't know, line axis of myself. And I think at first I was in the sort of upper chambers, which were represented as this like magical tower. And I went into one of the rooms and saw a kind of a alchemist laboratory. And there were these uh, characters there doing some kind of work that felt very like this is sacred and this is very important. And I felt like I'm not, I hope I'm not intruding. I'm just going to peek into this. And uh, I remember a kind of a look thrown at me uh, uh, by one of these magicians or alchemists that I saw. And the look was just don't mess with anything. Okay. You can watch, but don't, you know, this is very important and very careful work. And so I just stood there modestly looking at the thing. And it was all imbued with this feeling, this is sacred, important shit. And then I went down that tower and I found myself in what looked like a hell, basically, fires and uh, even some devil-like creatures there shoveling coal into some kind of a fire pit. And and they were, this was not a bad place. This was not like filled with suffering, but there was no, nothing sacred about it. And the feeling I got from these devil-like creatures there was, I know you guys up in the tower think this is very sacred and you're dealing with something very uh, nuanced and profound, but we are here at the source. This is where the energy that you're working with later comes from. And there's nothing sacred about it. It's just fire. It's just, you know, pure pure energy or passion or something. And it was this. There was this mischievous uh, kind of fuck all um, attitude about these creatures there. And so that made me. I, that's just, I guess, another metaphor for what we're dealing with, which is there is some kind of flow of energy through our bodies uh, and maybe we, what we are is the cycle of energy going from one state to another and and the energy can be changed from one kind of it into another but it's fundamentally the same process or the same stuff I don't know how to exactly describe it and the you know base instincts 
are what gives life to the more refined parts of our experience. Uh, you know, if we didn't want to fuck, we would not be here. If, if our parents didn't want to fuck, we would not be here. Uh, and then on top of that layer of procreation, of the cycle of procreation, you can put layers of whatever, artistic expression or uh, trying to do good in the world. Uh, but, but it all rests upon the foundation of the experience wanting to be reproduced and to continue. And this drive for continuing the experience is pretty primal and yet it contains in a certain sense, in a sort of potential sense within it, all of the more whatever noble or beautiful or nuanced um, things about life. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's really profound. And did that specific experience bleed into your life in any kind of way? Did it create any shift in the way you looked at things? Um, I'm sure it did, but not in any concrete way. This is just something that is a part of my thinking now and, and something that I try to keep in mind. Uh, but I don't think I can trace it to any specific change. That uh, the Chang experience that I described, uh, the one after which I talked with Glenn, uh, that was interesting, and it sort of highlighted this tension between the profound experience and then how do you actually change your life based on it. Uh, and, and the way it highlighted this part of the uh, equation is, I had no idea what to do with it. I had no idea how to make it actionable. I knew that there's something there, but it's uh, it's too hard to even keep in mind, uh, you know. So, so I was just kind of left with it. But there were two things I did the next day, and they seemed to be directly connected to the experience. And those were to buy a new mattress, and to I, I lived outside of Saint Petersburg at the time, and I had to uh, chop wood to hit the house and the block of wood on which I was chopping uh, uh, the, the wood uh, was just too short and crooked. And so uh, whenever I worked with the axe, uh, I was just adding to my back pain because I was, wasn't doing it properly. And so the next day I got myself, a, I bought a new mattress and I got myself a different chopping block uh, so that I don't hurt my back when I, uh, create materials to hit the house, and 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 the connection there is, I felt like okay, so I don't know what to do with all of these big questions about how everything is connected to everything else, but my back pain is connected to everything else. It appears from this experience, yeah. and that thing I can do something about, and I've been postponing it for months. Like I, I knew my, that my mattress sucked, but I was like, I don't know, maybe it's not that bad, and should I spend money on a new one? And here I was faced with this, like, on the one hand, you have no idea what to do about these, whatever, big questions, but, but you're thinking about those big questions leads you to this basic insight that everything is connected to everything else. So why don't you take care of something that is in front of you 
and see how that translates to everything else. Because if your back is not hurting, you're in a better mood. That affects your relationships. You might be more creative because you're not being distracted by your pain. Take care of mm. what's in front of you if you don't know what to do about the big thing, uh, whatever, whether it's political or philosophical or what, whatnot. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a really profound insight. So sometimes I think we can get lost too much into the bigger cosmic questions without making real changes in our life right now. And that's and that's one reason that for this time I've chosen not to take DMT yet because I still feel like mm -hmm. I have a lot of things to change right now in my life and mm -hmm. I have a lot of shit to work through. And I guess that, that that's the next question I have for you is we, we've talked a lot about the, the, the bigger mystical experiences and how you had certain broader universal realizations, but have you had any particular realizations about yourself or about your relationships? Like, like, Oh man, you know, maybe I'm too cold. Maybe I need more humor in my life. Maybe I need to, you know, express more love to my fiance or I need to spend more time doing fun things or I need to um, uh, acknowledge my inner child and all the negative experiences I've been through or how they've shaped me. Like, is there any kind of self-therapeutic experience you've had? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are. I, I Nothing comes to mind that I can easily formulate in those terms, like the inner child and whatnot. But the basic... Uh, thing that I always learn anew is uh, just pay more attention. Uh, so, you know, I think about, let's say, my relationship with my fiance. And again, if, if there is anything that's lacking or if there's anything that needs, uh, well, even, even how I formulated now is talent. I was about to say, if there's anything that needs more attention, that's the thing that it needs you know we everything is everything you're a part of engaged with um a lot of it is up to you because how you act in a relationship will change the relationship and change how the person acts towards you so just the the, the insight is just pay more attention put more care into everything that you're doing um and don't get stuck in whatever feeling or, um, you know, whatever kind of negative lolly you might get into. If you feel like that, don't don't stay there. It should should act as a impulse to, again, pay more attention to what's happening, and figure out what you need to do and what uh, needs to be taken care of right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. And and of course that would gel really well with meditation. Of course, paying more and more attention yeah. to your yeah. present experience. Meditation, meditation always helps me. It's sort of a mystery to me why I don't do it every day, <laughs> because when I do, there is no drawbacks, and it's always making my life better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for me too, actually, I I don't do a good job of meditating, and I, it's funny. I, I tell a lot of people that they should meditate, but I should meditate more too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's 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 tough. You know, you know discipline is very difficult for me naturally. And that's you know, that's one thing that I've been interested in, in exploring further and potentially 
as as one teacher said to me, that's the one thing I could potentially ask psychedelics at some point. Like if I'm doing a mushroom trip, I could go in and ask for discipline. How can I have more discipline in my life? How can I create the changes that I want to change? And maybe there might be some answer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a advice that I could follow as well. Um, yeah. Discipline is very tricky for me. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost suspicious about the concept. I wonder if discipline is the way that I should be thinking about it because when I do get better at whatever, meditating, exercising, keeping a dream journal, keeping a regime of the day, sleeping schedule and whatnot, um, it rarely comes from this like, you know, like a Joe Rogan kind of thing, defeat your inner bitch uh, and, and, and go and do the things. Jockey yeah, Willink, those guys. Yeah, yeah I, I might not be that person uh, because when when things do get better, it's it's hard to find that moment when the turn for the better happens. But when it does, it uh, seems to have something to do with uh, actually the opposite of sort of relaxing, of not trying to force yourself to do the thing you need to do, because that sometimes just leads to beating yourself up for not doing the thing uh, yes. as opposed to actually doing the thing. Uh, and so I, this is, I, I feel it is going to be a long process of trying to figure out what works for me. Uh, how do I get out of these lulls and into uh, practices that are beneficial? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. You're talking about this. I, in my conversations with my counselor, uh, recently, very recently, he's, he's been telling me that instead of having this hardcore self-discipline attitude of trying to conquer my inner bitch, I mm-hmm. should develop an attitude of self-love, of loving the parts of myself that aren't able to focus or not able to get right. all the things done that I want to. Because I, I, I have an extremely bad work ethic and self-motivation. Like it's it's very hard for me to you know, write down 10 things I have to do today and mm-hmm. almost never do all those things get done. Or if, if I have deadlines for myself, 90% of the time, I don't meet those deadlines that I set for myself. Like I either mm-hmm. need some external motivation. Like if some editor says, Hey, I need this in by Saturday, you know, I, I can do that. But by myself, it's very difficult. And that's something I've struggled with for a very long time. And my therapist was saying these, these parts of myself, they, they're there for a reason. They're trying to protect me from something and they've been, mm-hmm. they've been created and fostered due to likely in my case, a lot of childhood fear and stress, you know, when it comes to things like ADHD, um, which, mm-hmm. I, which I probably have, and which probably many people have as we're seem mm-hmm. to be diagnosing more and more people with ADHD, just an inability to focus and get things done. It's like, instead of perpetually like hating that part of myself, I should be more compassionate towards it. And then perhaps it can relax and let me be more focused and disciplined. Yeah. I had a uh, this one period in my life. I was working on the office job that I grew tired of and I wanted to get out of it, but I couldn't because I needed to save some money. And so I would show up to the office every day. And I, it, this was in America. I would sit in a cubicle. And I would write down things that I need to do. And then I would rewrite the list. And then I would ju- I was just in a cycle of writing to-do lists and not 
accomplishing things on those to-do lists. And it became this weird neurotic impulse of like, I'm not capable of actually doing the work. Okay, let me at least write down the things that I should do. And then that that's where it ended. I, I was just doing that. And then eventually I turned this into something positive where I decided that I'm going to just for myself to do those those to-do lists uh, in a kind of artsy way. So I, I made sort of art objects or designs out of these to-do lists. And so by the time I finish with a list of things to accomplish, I already felt better about myself because I didn't waste this time. I made something cool out of it. And through that, I got out of that cycle and uh, was able to be more productive because the act of writing the to-do list suddenly became something creative and interesting. Uh, And so... I, I think you're right. I think that, you know, like in this case, you're saying you should listen to and love the parts of you that uh, are pro- prohibiting you from being productive uh, or, or paying attention. Well, maybe the reason you're having a hard time paying attention is because what you're doing is boring, you know, and uh, and you don't want that in your life. And so you need to make it and then it'll be easy to do it. That seems what mm. has happened with those lists for me, but that can be applied to everything that you do. You know, if, if you're having a hard time with your work, maybe the problem is not that you're not disciplined enough. Maybe the problem is your work sucks and you should either quit and find a new one or try to change the one that you have to make it more interesting. Right. Yeah, well... It, the, the former is not my case of so my work is boring. My work is very interesting right? as a mm-hmm. writer, as a journalist, podcaster, but it's more, um, you know, how to bring more discipline and more, more of a structure into mm-hmm. what, you know, for, for creative people, it can be sometimes a very fluid, structureless, kind of do anything you want type of lifestyle. It's adding more structure. Like, I like, like, I like the idea of, of doing a nine to five, for example. <laughs> now, it'll, it would be hard for me to find a nine to five that I would like, but I like that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, just going in and working with other people, um, or, or just in whatever capacity, having a certain schedule of waking up and doing things. And then after that, being done. Whereas for me, it's just like, yeah, I wake up and other things come up and, you know, I'm, I'm working throughout the day. And next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock and I still need to finish one thing <laughs> that I should have done long ago. Right. So there's, there, there's this, uh, there, there is no line between work and play and between work and, and relaxation and work and leisure time. It's just kind of whenever throughout the day. So having more of a structure for me, and I, and I do do a lot of to-do lists as well, but it's, it's still, it's very against my nature to have a structure. I'm naturally very fluid. So trying to figure out more and more ways to develop that structure and, and maybe from a place of self-love, as my counselor suggested, that could be a good way for me to develop this part of myself. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about, so I have this newsletter, Psychopolitica, which I've been writing for, what, three years probably now? And for that time, 
uh, I was approaching it in this very fluid. I, you know, I'll write whatever. Uh, I'll write the next thing when I have the next thing to write. I wasn't pushing myself to publish on some kind of schedule, and I always felt that maybe I should. I mean, it would be it would be better um, uh, if if I did it every week or every couple of weeks. But it was hard for me. And then now I'm publishing multiple times a week, uh, and I have a commitment to publish at least once a week. And the reason it is happening this way, the reason it became easy, is uh, when this war started, again, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I felt like I need to be doing something about it. I had no idea what to do about it. And I thought, okay, well, while I don't know what to do about the big thing and um, do what I'm already doing, um, I, I, I can put more effort into it and take it more seriously. And so there was no forcing myself. Uh, it just happened naturally that I put more effort into it because there was a general sense of urgency about life itself. Like I need to be whatever I'm doing. You know, if I'm not fighting the regime in Russia and instead I'm making drawings, well, at least those drawings I need to take seriously and, and put a real effort into it. But again, it wasn't forced. It was just, you know, something jolted me into, uh, into making a regular practice out of it. So I don't know. I'm just sharing, sharing where I'm at with this kind of discipline structure thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting to me. The, the last question I have for you is like in in your day to day life, like going back to what I was saying in, in the beginning about life being life sometimes feeling very repetitive, gray. You're doing the same things over and over again. It lacks it lacks flavor. It lacks color. It lacks fun. Like when you now, like when you know you're in Armenia, or you know when you were back in Russia, is there a way you now look at the world every day that you perhaps wouldn't uh, before your psychedelic experiences, specifically your DMT trips? Is there a shift in the way you look at the world? Like, is there more awe or wonder or curiosity or more of an appreciation of the present moment or more more gratitude? Is there something? Is, is there like a color that's been added to your day-to-day life? And then maybe it's not easily accessible. Maybe it's just ingrained in you right now and you don't know exactly how to put it into words. But is there some kind of shift in the way you just look at the world and experience your existence in the universe? Everything that you just said is right. Yeah, that there's definitely all of these things are added, but it's also true that it's hard to maintain that to not let it uh, slip through your fingers and so you know I can't say that I'm in state where I wake up and I experience awe towards the world uh, but I do know that that's doable and so I try to get better at it and I'm better at it on some days than on others uh, it's uh, you know a never ending exercise mm. Interesting. Well, listen, it was, it was good talking to you, Nikita. This is a really interesting conversation.
Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying thank you. Uh, it was good on my part as well. Yeah. Happy to and talk you, to you. You know what? Actually, I, I just realized that there's actually one other question I was going to ask you that totally slipped my mind. Um, sure. Maybe we, maybe we can end on this because I, I know it's also late where you're at. But, but also, you know, I, I just asked you about your moment-to-moment experience. But has there also been uh, a broader shift in your spiritual or religious worldview after doing psychedelics? Like, were you... Did you have any beliefs before that were completely shattered and you, you, you know, you became much more open to um, uh, a religious worldview or perhaps a more universal worldview or how how would you describe the, the shift in your philosophy and view of the world? More to put it, I think. uh, Sorry, say it again. More open, uh, less sure of things. Um, Mm. uh, like knowing how weird reality is, I don't feel too confident about any, about any hypothesis that I might have myself. You know, like what happens after death? I have no idea. Uh, maybe this, maybe that. It could be that there's a character on the cloud. It would seem absurd. It would seem, uh, you know, inappropriate to me right now uh, that, you know, if when when we die, we just go to like a cartoonish version and a cartoonish interpretation of heaven hell scenario. But it might be true. Who knows? I've talked to cartoonish elves that were talking to me about uh, the nature of the universe. I didn't expect that to be the case. Uh, that to be possible. So it could be that, or it could be nothing. And uh, that is also a possibility that I. You know, I don't lean towards that. I don't believe in that. Um, but it might less that I have some new beliefs uh, because of those experiences. I'm just more open to any, um, and 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 sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. I, I just lost your entire response. Can you restart? <laughs> oh, when when did you lose me? Uh, I didn't hear anything after I asked the question about God. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying is I didn't get any new beliefs, but I became more open to any kind of belief being uh, you know, probable. Everything might hmm. be possible. Uh, uh, and, and, and then it's kind of my creative choice to decide you know, which system of beliefs or ideas I want to pursue or whether I want to uh, create my own. Um, but, but yeah, I'm just more open to, like even, I don't know, flat earthers, you know, I, I, I don't view the world the way they do, but I'm less judgmental of it, I guess. Like I can find an interpretation of the flat earth theory that actually could be worthy of entertaining. You know, like it could be, you can, you can say that this is uh, a way, this is, what's being ex- expressed in this flat earth theory is uh, that people want to lean on their direct experience more than on knowledge they've gotten from experts because I guess they didn't understand that message. It wasn't compelling when they were taught this at school. 
uh, it was given to them as something they need to remember. And now they're saying, fuck that. The earth is flat beneath, beneath my feet. So I'm going to put more trust in this than in what you told me in school. You know, from that, you can sort of defend uh, that view of the world, even though, you know, it's, it's more close to being my world, view of the world. But I, I, I guess I have more, I don't know, leniency towards these things that I don't believe myself. Hmm. Interesting. And were, were you religious before at all or atheistic before doing psychedelics? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 I didn't have an organized religion uh, that I grew up in. Um, the general milieu was, I guess, agnostic. I, uh, it would be the way to put it. It's like, you know, there is... There are Christian elements in the culture, but I was growing up in the 90s. This was, you know, after 70 years of uh, atheist propaganda uh, by the USSR. And then that thing fell apart, and so that left a mark. But then a whole bunch of new beliefs and ideas and practices flooded the country. And so there was, you know, all of this mishmash of stuff. I don't think I had an articulated approach to this. I was always curious and interested in uh, the subject matter of religion, but I was not a part of a religious tradition myself. Hmm. Interesting. And are, are you inclined now to perhaps pursue a particular religious tradition, whether that's Buddhist or Christian or something in between? No, I don't feel the the closest I get to I feel relate to this this you know uh, gels with with my uh, propensities is Buddhism um, and more than anything Tibetan Buddhism. There's a there's an old temple in Saint Petersburg. I think it was built at the turn of the century, like the first years of the 20th century, uh, and I. Used to go there every, every once in a while, and the feeling I would get like this is not my tradition. This, I'm not a Buddhist. Uh, I don't feel like I am um, a part of the community of believers here. But I always felt this childlike wonder and excitement, and I just loved the the whole thing so they have these services they last an hour uh people sit uh on these benches uh and look in, into the center of the room and in the center of the room there are monks chanting mantras and blowing into horns and beating drums and uh, at certain point you might be invited to stand up and then sit down there is one part uh, i don't know if it's in every service or uh, only certain ones where uh, people are supposed to, so you're supposed to bring candy with you. And at a certain point in this ritual, you take the candy out, you hold it in your hands. And it's like, n nobody ever explained to me what this was about. I never asked, but uh, my intuitive understanding was that you're holding it there. So that it sort of soaks in the energy generated by the ritual. And then you, unwrap the candy and eat it. Uh, and when that happens, 
every time there are some people who didn't bring candy because they didn't know this is a thing. And so they're just like confused. But there are also people who brought a whole bag so that they can pass the candy to somebody who doesn't have it. And so like all of these things the and the clothing of the monks and, and the temple itself brightly colored with these uh, depictions of bodhisattvas and uh, a golden statue of Buddha. Um, all of these things just speak to me and resonate with me on a kind of intuitive level, uh, like a little kid that uh, feels like this is the thing, this, I love it. Uh, so that's, th- that's the closest that I get to feeling a sense of belonging in a kind of traditional religious setting, but it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not a Buddhist. I, I didn't go to that temple regularly. Every once in a while I would stop by and, uh, and, and feel great about it. Uh, but I can't say that I belong to this tradition. It's just one that I admire. Mm. Mm, yeah, that, that's very interesting. You know, I, I think we all have a spiritual impulse and we all have to channelize it in some way. And for some people, it's going to be organized Christianity or it's going to be Hinduism or Islam or whatever. But for other people, it can be something a little more fluid and not necessarily structured in any traditional way. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's beautiful, too. And, and yeah. when it comes to like Buddhism, too, I think, you know, like the, the you know, Siddhartha initially, the the. The original story of the Buddha, it, it has very little traditional religiosity in in ways that uh, in ways that are contrary to the way, let's say, Tibetan Buddhism is practiced. Like the, you know, when when the Buddha was asked about God or cosmos or afterlife or reincarnation, he just he didn't answer those questions. Right, right. It, it was more about just, you know sitting down and attaining your own enlightenment, experiencing nirvana without the use of any great you know scriptures or mythologies or other techniques it was very much about just the the bare bones of spirituality of meditation yeah. contemplation discipline though those kind of things so i, I think yeah you know you saying you're not a buddhist like you know in some quintessential sense we should all be buddhists not not in like an organized way but in just at its root being mindful practicing love, compassion, uh, connecting more and more with our pure awareness and sure, uh, empathizing sure. with other people. I think there's something valuable in just practicing that philosophy, which, which Sam Harris brings in his, in his app uh, pretty powerfully. Sure. And in that way, I can, sense I'm a, I can say that I'm a Christian as well. Like, love your neighbor or don't judge. Those things are very important for me too. But in terms of organized religion, I don't have one that I belong to. And I sort of feel like like what would work for me is sort of inventing my own as a kind of, again, creative project just for myself. Like if, mm. if there's a religion I practice, it's not one that like I read the book and I got it and like, okay, so this is my path. My path seems to be something that I should be inventing as I go. Um, and then maybe at the end of it, I can put a name on it, but I don't think that's important or necessary. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, this is a great conversation, Akita. I know, I know I was trying to end it earlier, but then I had this other question for you. <laughs> so 
appreciate this extended conversation. It's been great talking to you. I've been really enjoying your Substack, Psychopolitical. Is it Psychopolitica or Political? Psychopolitica with a C. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, Psychopolitica. So uh, people who want to check it out, I've linked to it in the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening to Spotify, Apple, or within the Colin app, um, I link to your piece in which you uh, delineate your first DMT experiences. So people can go read that and subscribe to your newsletter. And uh, of course you, you also produce the Glenn show, Glenn Lowry's mm-hmm. podcast and his Substack, mm-hmm. And that's been, uh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, that's been really, that's been really, really good. You guys put out a lot of high quality content there. So you're doing great work and I hope you uh, continue to uh, progress and do more and more interesting things. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. You too. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.